I am Camille Johnson, and this is Finding the Floor. Stories and reflections of midlife motherhood, family, and finding meaning in it all. Join me as I share a little piece of my life and figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Hey everyone, welcome to Finding the Floor. This is episode 98 and today we're going to be discussing habit three, put first things first from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. So this is technically, I guess, part four since there was like an intro part to this series and I'm just going to go over each habit one at a time and I've really felt like habit three really pulls in all of the how would you say like all of the there's a lot of thinking pondering of like how do you see the world and how do you want to translate into your mission statement and having making sure you're feeling like you're proactive and this habit I feel like he translates it into a really really practical way to just live your life so that's what I really really liked about this because there was a lot of stuff that was just like oh my gosh I hadn't thought about that I you know I wish I would have done this 25 years ago when I remember listening to this book once before But now I feel like there's more of an importance to it as before it didn't feel as needful, I guess, at the time because I just felt like I was on top of everything. And maybe after having five kids and living a life that's kind of going, not necessarily going crazy, but is busy, that this just feels like a really good practical solution. So that's really what I loved about it what he says is in the like programming metaphor that he has for all the habits he's like saying habit one is you are the programmer habit two is write the program and then habit three is run the program so really this is all about implementing those two habits into your daily life and so at the beginning of this chapter he says like what is one thing you could do that you aren't doing now that if you did on a regular basis would make a tremendous positive difference in your personal life then what's one thing in your business or professional life that would bring similar results now when I was listening to the book and then reading again the chapter the first time I had one idea in my head of what I could do and my first thought was like, well, maybe I just need to get up earlier because I just feel like (laughs) my days are like disappearing lately this summer. And I mentioned that like last week, I think. And then after reading this chapter, I think, yes, I probably could get up earlier. But now I see how even if I don't get up earlier, how just organizing my week in this different way really will help me. Okay. 
So this is just a lot of really useful practical things and stuff that I really wish I had been implementing years and years ago. Okay, so he said, with habit three, this is really all about practicing personal self-management. And he says, it's so much easier to practice personal self-management when you have your personal mission statement. He says, management is clearly different from leadership. Leadership is primarily a high-powered right brain activity. It is more of an art. It's based on a philosophy. You have to ask the ultimate questions of life when you're dealing with personal leadership issues. But once you have dealt with those issues, once you have resolved them, you then have to manage yourself effectively to create a life congruent with your answers. Management is the breaking down, the analysis, the sequencing, the specific application, the time-bound left brain aspects of effective self-government. I just love that quote, just really about that this is how you like practice self-management. And sometimes we think, oh, I just have really bad willpower, but ultimately he's saying it's so much easier when you have a personal mission statement, a vision of what principles you want to live by that you have chosen and decided and written down. And that really just helps you manage yourself so much better. And he has a mantra that says, manage from the left, lead from the right, which is probably why I think sometimes I have a little bit of problem with the management side of my life. I mean, I get things done, but I think that I tend to be more of a right-brained person, and this is now more of the left-brained practical things, and I think I do admire people who are just really, like, structured and, you know, are doing all these things that are implementing that, and now I see how that they can work together, and sometimes I would just get annoyed by maybe super organized practical left-brained people. (laughs) But we need both. Like we need that vision and that's really helpful. And we also need the practical day-to-day implementation of the vision that we have. Okay. So he says, um, remembering with habit one and habit two, we use our self-awareness, our imagination, and our conscience to get a vision or like this first creation of what we want to be. So then he mentions that the fourth endowment that we have as humans is, he says, is our independent will. The ability to make decisions and choices and to act in accordance with them. It is the ability to act rather than be acted upon to proactively carry out the program we have developed through the other three endowments. Okay, so here we have our independent will that is that fourth human endowment that is so important. And I think it makes it so much easier to carry out that independent will when we've taken the time, like he said, with habits one and habits two. And especially with habits two, as you think about all the things that you've all these scripts and ideas or manuals that you've been given in your life and what are you going to keep and what are you going to take away and what are your priorities? And just really sitting down and deciding that is so, so important as you then 
jump into habit three. What um, I also love is what he said about integrity. And sometimes you just think about integrity is by like living the values or principles that you have. But he also said integrity is fundamentally the value we place on ourselves is our ability to make and keep commitments with ourselves to walk our talk. It's honor with self, a fundamental part of the character ethic, the essence of a proactive growth. What stuck out to me really, really a lot (laughs) is this integrity is the value we place on ourselves. Yeah, I just thought that was really cool. Okay. And then as he's talking about, you know, like, understanding integrity he's also talking about discipline and he says discipline comes from disciple and when you are a disciple you are a follower of a certain philosophy or set of principles so he says when we become effective we are essentially becoming a disciple or a follower of our own decided principles that we have chosen we have decided to live in a certain way and then are going forth. We are following our own principles. Okay, so then this is when he goes into a little more practical and there's a little more philosophical part of that. Um, But he says, we need to organize and execute around priorities as opposed to just doing tasks and schedules. And he talks about there's like four generations of time management. He says like the first generation was just notes and checklist. We try to prioritize all the things that are in our, our, on our to-do list. He says the second generation is having a calendar and appointment books where we have a more sense of like planning ahead. So the first one is like organizing all the things we have to do for the day. The second is planning ahead. You have your calendar and appointments. The third generation's focus is on setting goals. There's short-term and long-term prioritizations and including that in your planning and prioritization in your schedule. And he also said with the third generation, there's a focus on efficiency. So you have a schedule, you have all your goals, you have them put in your planner, and then you just kind of go forth. But he says one thing about the third generation tool is he says the efficiency focus created expectations that clash with the opportunity to develop rich relationships, to meet human needs, and to enjoy spontaneous moments on a daily basis. Sometimes people feel too scheduled or too rigid. Looking back, I think it's really interesting that I don't know if any of you kind of in the 90s and mostly in the 90s, I had one of those Franklin planners and, you know, I'd plan out my week and I noticed that I just slowly got away from that and then I would do like a calendar and then it just became kind of too rigid. Like my life was just really flowy, especially as becoming a parent and now I notice my calendar is just filled with appointments and some to-do lists, but some of my to-do things just like are in my head and I get them, I get to them, or I have maybe a scheduled time where I get to certain things. But I just noticed that I abandoned that type of like goal setting and 
scheduling that because I maybe felt that was like too rigid. So what he says is like the fourth generation in time management sees time management as a misnomer that we really manage ourselves, not time. He says, rather than focusing on things and time, fourth generation expectations focus on preserving and enhancing relationships and on accomplishing results in short or maintaining the P slash PC balance. Okay. Now, P slash PC balance was talked about in the introduction, and I really didn't mention it in that episode. So I'm going to just take a little bit and go back and talk about what he means by the P slash PC balance. Because I think it's helpful to think about, and he references it a couple times in this chapter. So he begins and describes the PPC balance with Aesop's fable of the goose and the golden egg. He describes it as, you know, there's this poor farmer who goes out and his goose has laid this golden egg. And he's about ready to just throw it out because he's just like, what in the heck is this weird egg? But then he decides to get it appraised and he finds out that it is a real solid gold egg. And somehow this goose is now producing golden eggs. Like the goose lays a golden egg every day. And so as the farmer becomes more rich, he also becomes more greedy and decides that he wants just to have all the eggs at once. So he decides to kill the goose. And after he kills it, he opens it up and realizes there aren't like a bunch of golden eggs just waiting that the goose produces one golden egg every day. And he's actually now just killed the goose. So now he doesn't have any way of getting any more golden eggs. So what is P? P is the golden egg, the like produced thing. Okay, so if you think about P is the golden egg or your like results that you want, okay? So then he says PC is the producing capacity or the producing asset. And think of that as the goose. So the farmer that killed the goose, so now he can no longer have any more golden eggs. So he's kind of ruined that. So that is not having a balance. Okay, so Stephen Covey says, if you adopt a pattern of life that focuses on the golden eggs and neglects the goose, you will soon be without the asset that produces a golden egg. On the other hand, if you only take care of the goose with no aim towards the golden egg, you soon won't have the wherewithal to feed yourself or the goose. So Stephen Covey defines effectiveness as what he calls the P or the produced or the result. Think of the egg slash PC balance. So the egg slash goose balance. If you think of that P slash PC. So production or desired result, the golden egg is part of it. And the production capability is the other part and having that balance. So one thing that really stuck out to me in his story about this was he's saying, like, if you have a child that needs to clean their room, the clean room is the egg. That's what you want. And your child is the goose. It's going to produce the clean room. 
So you want to make sure you have a good balance of treating the child in a way that will help them be motivated to clean their room instead of like yelling at the child. So having that P slash PC balance. And he tells a few stories that are really great that he talks about having some PC moments, um, especially with people where you're really focusing on them, you're focusing not on the results. So you're helping the goose, you're trying to make sure that you have a good relationship with your child so that then when you need something like a result, that it's not quite as hard to get there, if that makes sense. Okay, he says, effectiveness lies in the balance. Excessive focus on the P results in ruined health, worn out machines, depleted bank accounts, and broken relationships. Too much focus on the PC is, a, is like a person who runs three or four hours a day bragging about the extra 10 years of life it creates, unaware he's spending them running. Or a person endlessly going to school, never producing, living on other people's golden eggs, the eternal student syndrome. So having that balance. So this next part, I really remember reading this and how it all sounded really great. And then not really understanding how to implement this in a real way. And I guess now somehow it's just making more sense to me. So the next part of this chapter, he talks about this quadrant or this square that is divided into four quadrants. And if you think about it as like two columns and two rows, okay? And the two columns at the top are urgent and not urgent. And the two rows are labeled important and not important. Okay. And then he goes through and he labels each quadrant. So quadrant one and two are on the top row of the square. So quadrant one is both urgent and important. And quadrant two is important, but not urgent. Okay. So he says quadrant one Activities include things as crisis, pressing problems, and deadline-driven projects. He says quadrant two includes activities such as prevention, PC activities. Um, again, that's like taking care of the goose or your relationship. He says, well, then he says relationship building, recognizing new opportunities, planning, and recreation. So then you have the bottom part of the square, the bottom row where that's on the unimportant um, and you would have quadrant three is urgent but not important and quadrant four is not important and not urgent and quadrant three includes interruptions calls I would say now like texts emails reports meetings pressing matters and maybe popular activities and then he says quadrant four Includes busy work, again, probably mail, texts, messages, time wasters, and pleasant activities. And he says, many of us actually live mostly in one and three. We're responding to urgent matters, putting out fires, not planning enough, and not getting to things in quadrant two. He says, the results of living in quadrant one is stress, burnout, crisis management, and always putting out fires. But then he says, if you also live in quadrant three, which is urgent and or unimportant, he says many times you are living 
according to priorities and expectations based on others, which results more of resentment. Okay, so he says the result of a quadrant three life is short-term focus, crisis management, kind of a reputation chameleon, he says. So your character is um, dependent on like what's important to other people, maybe. And then it says in quadrant three, setting goals and plans seem worthless, feel victimized and out of control. Then he says with quadrant four, you're basically living in an irresponsible life. You like nothing gets done. (laughs) But again, we go to quadrant four. I think he was saying in his book that many times if you're living a lot in quadrant one, the way you escape is go to quadrant four. You know, you're just like, all right, I'm going to go do something pleasant, like watch a show or whatever, because it's not urgent or important, but I can't deal with this crisis, putting out fires thing for a minute. I need a break. So not saying all of quadrant four activity is bad, but like, I guess living all the time in quadrant four, that's not going to be effective. So he's saying basically what we want is to live mostly in quadrant two. So he says the results of living from quadrant two is vision, perspective, balance, discipline, control, and few crises. That sounds like a really great place to be. But here is a quote that I really thought was helpful. He says, there are many people who recognize the value of quadrant two activities in their lives, whether they identify them as such or not. And they attempt to give priority to those activities and integrate them into their lives through self-discipline alone. But without a principal center and a personal mission statement, they don't have the necessary foundation to sustain their efforts. They're working on the leaves, on the attitude and the behaviors of discipline without even thinking to examine the roots, the basic paradigms from which their natural attitudes and behaviors flow. So you see how important this like even habit two is to really understanding like where you're coming from. Okay, so I would love to live mostly in quadrant two. I feel like I do, I try to live there sometimes, but I feel like I'm living a lot in quadrant one and probably in quadrant three, two, and then hanging out in quadrant four when I get burned out. Obviously, I get to things that are important, but there's this pressure, like I mentioned back in, I think it was around scheduling and feeling a victim to my schedule. Like that, I obviously, if I'm feeling like a victim, that's when I'm in quadrant three. I'm not really scheduling according to what I want to accomplish and according to my mission statement. Okay, so what I loved is that he takes a really, really practical solution to all of this, okay? He helps you think about how you can plan your week and how that looks like to live more of a quadrant two life. And he says, obviously, there's going to be stuff that comes up that's urgent and important, But if you are planning and living more in quadrant two, those things will become less and less. Okay. 
And he said, when you have like a type of organizer, they should have six criteria. They should include coherence. So there should be a place for your mission statement. They should be balanced so that they have like a place where you can identify all your roles. Then this type of organizer should be quadrant two focused, dealing with prevention rather than prioritizing crises, have a people dimension, flexibility, and portability. What he also says about like having an organizer and just not having all these things on your schedule is that you are more aware of people. Like you are being effective because you're thinking more about people. He says when we are doing things and tasks, that's when we're efficient. But when we are building relationships, we are working on being effective. Okay. So then what he says is you then start listing all of the roles you have in your life, okay? And then you start listing the goals that you want to accomplish for those roles and you work it just a week at a time. He says sometimes with daily planners, there's not enough look ahead and sometimes um, you need to just, it's easier to work at a week at a time. And I feel like really with my life, sometimes I can't plan super far ahead. I mean, obviously I can put things on my calendar and schedule appointments, but for me, I just have to see, I look at my life at a week at a time. So I'm grateful that I have at least that part down, okay? So he says, you take a week, again, you write all of the roles that you have. Now, you guys, this was really, really eye-opening and helpful for me. Because he has like two different lists in his book and I had like, so you have like personal, wife, mom, podcast, you know, producer and host. And then I had like gospel doctrine teacher and neighbor and sister, friend, daughter-in-law, aunt. And then I think I had a couple other things. And just going through and listing all those roles that I had And then thinking about the week and like some of the things that I've been meaning to get done, like I have a friend that requested for her birthday to just um, give her a perennial for her garden. Okay, you guys, it's like June. Her birthday was in April and she said, oh, don't get it to me before the end of May because I can't really plant it before then. But like I haven't done it. And it's because it's one of those quadrant two things. So now if I think about that would be a friend thing. And I would say, oh, I need to make sure I buy those flowers, schedule that into my week. Okay, so again, I kind of got a little bit of ahead, but you list all your roles and then you kind of refer to your mission statement and the goals that you want to accomplish with all your roles, okay? I mean, some of those are simple tasks, like how they look, that it's not, it's usually really practical, like as a mom, this week I had to set aside two days. We ended up driving to check out a college for my daughter. So that was an important thing. And we ended up having to do it kind of last minute because my daughter had two days off work. So that is something we got to and it was important. And I kind of fit it into my schedule. And the one thing he was saying, as you do this, so you have your roles and the goals that you have, And some of them may just be tasks, but then you schedule them into your week. And then if something is to come up like, oh, I have two days off work, maybe we should go check out this school, then you can rearrange how the week's going to look like. 
But I just love the idea of really looking at your life through your roles rather than just through appointments and tasks and things you need to get done. Because maybe your goal with one of your roles, like for me, I feel like I'm a really, not terrible aunt, but I'm just like, I wish I could be better. I have a lot of nieces and nephews. I think there's like over 35, almost 40 nephews between both my sides of the family. And sometimes that feels really overwhelming. Like I, I'm like, oh, so-and-so's birthdays or keeping up with just events that are happening, like so-and-so's graduating or all these things. And I wish I were better. And I was just thinking, oh, if I have that as a role each week, then maybe there's just one little thing I can do each week that will help me with my goal, with that maybe role of my life. I just thought that was so helpful to um, think of it in that way with your roles and your goals instead of just like, oh, this is something I really want to accomplish, but listing your roles out and how you want to grow in that way. All right, the other thing he really emphasizes is delegating. And gosh, I am getting better, but this was really helpful. He's saying there's two types of delegation. There's gopher delegation and stewardship delegation. And with gopher delegation, that is what it sounds like. Go for this, go for that. You just tell people what to do and almost how to do it. And that is pretty much how I feel like I delegate sometimes, mostly with my family. And it's, it's funny because I see how I can do that. Or like you have done something a certain way and you kind of get annoyed with someone when they do it, but they're doing it not in the way that you want it done. So sometimes I just bite my tongue because that's just how they're going to do it. So he says a better way to do it is with stewardship delegation. So stewardship is focused more on results rather than methods. And you allow whoever's in charge of that or who you delegate the tasks to just have their own methods. You ought, And he says you have like, first you, he says you should define the results, clear guidelines, make sure they know of the resources. Um, there should be accountability and consequences. And in the chapter he has this really cute story about his son like they were listing all these things that they had to do with their family they were having this family meeting and there were a lot of things that the parents only the parents could do like go to work and like nurse a baby and take care of this and that and so one thing about the yard was one of their kids decided to take over the yard and so Stephen Covey talks about how he had this easy simple way of thinking about the yard clean and green And he spent two weeks going over what his expectations were, the accountability. And he even said, like, you're going to be the boss. I don't want to be constantly telling you you need to look and do all these things. And he says, you're also going to be the judge. You're going to say how you're doing. But we're going to talk about what results look like. I'm going to show you things of how we expect it to look. But then you can decide how you want to do it. And it was interesting for two weeks, the son didn't do anything because he kind of felt overwhelmed with it. And then once they had, they went through a walkthrough and 
like Stephen Covey said, you know, I can help you whenever I'm available, but I'm not always available. And so that one afternoon after the son hadn't worked for on the yard, he told him that he was feeling really overwhelmed. And so then he just said, well, I can help you now. And so they, he helped him clean up the yard. And then he said, after that, he really got it. He kind of took over and his, their yard looked really good. So I know that that's one thing I really also need to work on is delegation and stewardship type delegation and taking more of the time. Like I have taught my kids how to do things, but just really having more of like really clear to find results, guidelines, expectations, accountability, all those things I think will really help. So the last thing I really loved with all of these ideas was that the goal with this implementation of habit three, uh, putting first things first, is that you are not a slave to your schedule. You decide how your week's going to look and then you want to have something that works for you, like an organizer or something that works for you. And he has a few pictures in his book of how it could look, but I'm sure he said, you know, anything can be adapted where you, you're able to see your mission statement, you have a list of your roles, and then goals set out for the week. I just loved how it was really practical. And just really, I haven't made my mission statement yet, but just this week as I tried to implement this idea of going through all my roles, and I really wasn't super good at getting all the things on the calendar, like scheduling them, but it helped me just to see my life in a just a really different way. So you guys, this was really, really helpful. Habit three kind of brings one and two in a really practical way. And it's also not quite as long a chapter. So go and listen as a way to really implement it. I'm going to challenge you first to take some time to work on your mission statement this week. And that's what he says is like, set aside time. He's like, maybe that's a Sunday activity that you do, or maybe it's something you do in the morning when you're having clear thought, but taking the time to set that aside. And then trying to plan your week in a way that is going with roles of your life rather than just schedules and appointments like that. So, okay, you guys, have an awesome week. And um, I hope you're enjoying this book. I really am. It's amazing how you think a book written 25 years ago wouldn't be practical. And now I'm just like, ah, I mean, I can't turn back time. But now I feel like, wow, if everybody lived their life in this way to really focus on quadrant two type activities. It would be amazing. So challenge accepted. I'm going to slowly work on this. All right, you guys. Again, thanks for listening and have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions, come by findingthefloor.com where I will have show notes and links for anything I've mentioned today. Special thanks to Seth Johnson for creating and performing the theme music. Come back next week and thanks for listening. 